on cue. That was good. That was perfect. Well, good morning. Oh, my goodness. Let me ask you something. Do, do you believe that, the video? Do you believe, like, you have purpose, that, that there's something that, like, you were made to do, and there, there's something that, um, like, like, you're supposed to do? I, I think so many people today, that, that's one of the things we're looking for. That, that's, one of the, that's one of the questions we try to answer. Why am I here? You know, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Because we always, you know, we're all created as kind of like doers. We, we want to be doing something and everything. I, I know I, I work with some people that, like, try to disprove that all the time, where they don't want to do anything, and you're sitting there going, come on, and everything. And, and it's interesting because, you know, at Universal, we're always, like, put up in teams uh, to do whatever we're supposed to do. And so if someone's not doing their job, it just loads more and more on you. Have you ever been around one of those? And everything. If you have kids, you understand. And everything, <laughs> we're good. Well, well, this morning, that's what I want to talk about the church because I don't think there's any better place on the planet to find your purpose, to find like meaning and, and something that you were just made to do, than in the church. And and I think it, it was always supposed to be that way. Um, and and so often, I think we've become such a kind of like consumer culture where we kind of sit we listen to some songs we do some stuff and, and then we go away and we we want to get entertained we live in one of the entertainment capitals of the world right here in orlando and and so we know that we like to go we want to go see a good show the queue line has to be nice there has to be interesting it has to be all this stuff entertain me entertain me entertain me but i i don't think that the church was ever supposed to be like that because i believe that when we just after a while, we get tired, and we want to go find some other place where maybe we can get a little bit more. A and the more we're looking for is usually right where we're at if we'll just pay attention. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, we're going to be talking about sharing the load um, this morning. Um, but in Acts chapter 6, um, and, and we'll do a little review. Last week, we were in, in chapter 5, and we're jumping ahead just a little bit. But in Acts chapter 6, if, if you... Would please, out of recognition of the authority of these words and the power of these words, again, these are the only words that matter, if you will just stand with me as we read. Um, in 6, starting at verse 1, Luke writes this. He says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had, set, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased great in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for this morning, all the kind of chaos that happens and, and, and just trying to get all this stuff together. But God, the truth is, God, we, we don't... We don't need anything fancy. We don't need lasers and PowerPoints and, and comfortable seats and all that. Those are all nice. But, God, all we need is for you to speak. 
This is about you and not about us. And so, God, we just ask this morning, as always, as every week, every time we gather, Father, that you would just have your way. God, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us. God, that you would embolden us. But most of all, that you would change us. God, that you would grow us more into the image of your son, that we would leave here different, God, and that we would live it out. So, Father, I ask that these words would be your words, not mine. God, and that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out. God, for your glory, and your praise, and your honor, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let, let, let's back up just a little bit. So what, what's happening, we have been going through the book of Acts, and we're seeing like this massive growth. Um, I mean, every time Peter talks, it says, and thousands came, you know. And, and so you, you start with just a few, maybe a hundred or so, just a few in a group, and it's just growing exponentially. It's just growing and growing and growing. And when things grow, there are growing pains that's going on. There are things that start happening. I mean, it's a lot different. You know, 30 of us in a room is a lot different than 3,000. It's a totally different way that you handle and you try to get things done and everything. And what's nice in a small church is, you know, a a lot of stuff can be done by just a few people. But as it grows, you know, there's going to be problems. There's going to be pains. And you also have to look like Jerusalem is an international city. And so there are people from all of the world, from all different backgrounds, they are coming together. And that's why I think God chose that to start his church. Because I think that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, just a conglomerate of every type of person. And everything. But, but they're having pains, but they continue to grow. Even though persecution is just starting to start building up. There, there are people, if, if, if you want to read, go back and read chapter 5. We, we went through Ananias and Sapphira. You don't have to read that unless you're still de- dealing with sin. You can talk to Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to last week's um, uh, message. But um, you, you can get that taken care of. But, I mean, but it's already, you know, they had already been warned. The apostles, like, stop saying Jesus. You know, you guys can meet, you can eat together, you can do all stuff, but stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, we can't. We have to obey God. And so, so they get put in prison again. The Sanhedrin or the Sadducees are getting really mad because they keep talking about the resurrection. The Sadducees like, we don't believe in the resurrection. I mean, uh, again, you know, the cross is the thing that paid for our sins. The resurrection is the thing that proves we have hope. No other faith talks about a resurrection. No other faith talks about a leader that we are following that is still alive and leading us and, and guiding us and everything. And so, and so people are getting mad. So they get put in prison back in chapter 5, and an angel comes up like, what are you doing in here? Get, get out. And so the next day they come and look for him, say, let's bring him before the whole Sanhedrin. And they're like, they're not there. <laughs> the guard's there. It's locked, but they're not there. Like, where are they? Where? They're back in the temple court preaching. And, and, and I love that they're getting mad. You know, persecution, in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about the persecution and the cost of really following Jesus. Because if it's not costing you anything, it's not worth anything. And so we're, we're going to start talking about the cost and seeing the build. But there's this really, really smart guy named Gamiel 
who was one of the high priests, he was one of the Pharisees, and, and he basically gave him this idea. He said, listen, if this is of God, leave it alone. Because if it's not of God, it's going to fail. Because how many times have people come and talked about this and did this stuff, and then it just it died out? But if this is of God, leave it alone. Let, let him be. By the way, we're going to find out Gamaliel is the guy that taught Paul and trained Paul um, later on. And so, so things are growing, and, and, and they, are, they are getting out of control, and more and more people and thousands of people, that they're probably having to set up, like, tents and everything. You know, people are giving away property because, you know, they don't have any place to put all this stuff. And all of a sudden, we start seeing what happens when a group of people from different backgrounds get together. Look at verse 1. It says, and in those days that the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. I just want to remind you, family is messy. I love my girls. My youngest girl is 25 years old today. She, she, it's her birthday today, and we called her this morning and stuff. I was like five when we had her, so... Um, <laughs> But I called her and I said, hey, did your bones creak? Does your back hurt? You know, are you feeling like a little bit slower this morning? She's like, shut up, Dad. Happy birthday and everything. But, but I love my girls. I did not always like them. <laughs> we didn't always agree. I, I, l I come from a big family, too. Lots of uncles. I got six or seven uncles. Um, just every, if you go to Plant City, I'm probably related to everybody in that town. In fact, I accidentally dated a girl that I didn't know was a cousin because I didn't know in college. I mean, it just, it, there's that, and there's a big family, but I know when we get together, sometimes, you know, we have different views and everything, and that's kind of what's happening to this church family. There are so many of them, and here's the apostles, their heart and everything, saying, we just want to take care of everyone, we want to make sure it's all going well, and, and do it. but all of a sudden, there's the, there's the Hellenistic Jews, which are the Greek-speaking Jews, from all over. When the Jews were dispersed, and some of them, a lot of them, widows and stuff, when, when they wouldn't have anybody, they would move back to Jerusalem because the temple would take care of them, and they would come here. But they were Greek-speaking. And then there's the Hebraic Jews that probably talked Aramaic, and so they're not talking. So there's almost like there's two little sects. You know, it's like sitting on one side of the church and the other side of the church. We don't mess with those people on the right side. You know, <laughs> we're left side. We're left side Baptist. Left side back row, you know, <laughs> you know. I remember we've been in churches that were big enough where you sat on one side and, and just we were at a church and we actually had left a year and we had always sat in the same place and people came up to me a year later. I was already working at another church and like, hey, we haven't seen you at church lately. <laughs> I'm like, I've been gone for a year. <laughs> I haven't seen you either. So <laughs> we're even. And stuff, but uh, so there's like this disgruntled feeling just going. In. And again, a lot of the Jews, there's a lot of pride. Like I, I am a, a Jewish Jew. I was born here, I was born in Palestine, I was raised here and stuff, and, and you had these converts coming out, and so there was kind of like just a little bit of hurting, a little bit of like, you know, I was here first. You know, I, I, I look at our church and I see all the people that have come and gone and stuff, and the people that have been here since the very beginning, and, and everything, like, well, I, I was an original person, you're new, and stuff. It, that's kind of what was going on there. And, and the apostles are looking at saying, man, this is becoming too much. They're, they're trying to do it all. They're, they're, they're trying to take care of everything. And I love, again, the church is a place for everyone. You have all these different cultures, all these different people. And so church, by the way, is always going to be messy until we get to the one church. 
because we all come with different baggage and all different things. And the apostles are taking care of it all, and it's just too much for one person. And unfortunately, I feel like we have become a culture that looks at like professional pastors and stuff like that and saying, well, that's your job. I remember being in this room. We were doing a class on evangelism and someone looking straight face to me saying, it's not my job to tell the gospel. That's why you're here. And so I I think we have gotten that. And the truth is, is that's that's a horrible way to do anything. Because I'm not good at everything. I'm good at a few things, and I'd like to be great at even less things and everything. But it takes all of us. I, 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 you, you can't do it all. And so I love that the apostles kind of looked at it and says, we have priorities, and we're going to prioritize our priorities. And I think that's a good thing. All of us have priorities. All of us have things like this needs to be go, but have you ever prioritized your priorities? Because everything may be good, but, man, I, I, my heart is that we focus on the great. I would rather be great at few things than only good at a whole bunch of things. And I think that's what the apostles are doing. They, they were kind of sitting here going like, listen, this is too much, and so we need to step back and kind of look at it. And, and I get this picture. This has happened over and over again. Moses had the same problem, remember? Everybody came to Moses and said, you need to judge, you need to judge this and judge that. And his father-in-law, Jethro, was like, boy, you're stupid. What are you doing? <laughs> Appoint people to help you out because you can't do it all. And I think the apostles finally realized that what was going on. Look at verse 2 through 4. They see that there's division happening. Listen, and our churches divide over the stupidest things. And the enemy uses those things to divide churches. Uh, unfortunately, there are more churches that have been started because of church splits than church plants. And it should never be that way. And so the apostles kind of get together and they're like, all right. So in verse 2 it says, The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Apostles knew, like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're the ones that we walked with Jesus. We're the ones that, you know, this, this original, like, go out and make disciples. This came to us, and so we need to be focusing on this and make sure that unity is happening and we're going in the right direction. And so they were not saying, like, listen, we're apostles. We don't do dishes. <laughs> Anybody that's a leader that says that's below me, you are no longer a leader. That's not what they were saying and stuff. And unfortunately, over the years, I've met pastors that, you know, as soon as we started putting up chairs and putting up tables, they were gone. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, someone else. Gonna, I'm a senior pastor. I'm like, you're a lazy pastor. Get in here and pick up a chair. <laughs> you know, <coughs> come and do this. They're, they're not saying no job is more important than the church than any other job. Please understand that. Just because I have a title that says pastor, lead pastor, and I, get to, I stand up here and preach, does not make me more important than anybody else that's in this building. And unfortunately, there's too many pastors that feel that. It's become a title instead of a calling. They're, they're not saying, like, we, we don't pick up tables. But what they're saying is we have things that we need to focus on, and we're getting distracted because of this other stuff. I love D.L. Moody, one of the great preachers. He says this. He says, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. 
That should be a definition for a church. That should be planted on every church, you know. And, and we're going to get into it because you know the rule, the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That is the most unbiblical church ever. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Nowhere in the model. And so, so, so the idea is that, you know what, I love being your pastor. I love preaching. I love, and right now with, with jobs and everything and, and everything that's going on, man, I spend an entire day. It was so beautiful. Friday I was off, and I spent like eight hours just sitting here just going over Scripture and going over and studying and preparing that. And that's really all I could do this week. But I feel that is my responsibility. That's what I'm supposed to do because, you know, for those of you that think, or and those that are in other churches think the pastor should do it all, I just I just want to read you Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Paul wrote this. He says, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. You see, I believe with all my heart that God is going to stand me up and he's going to, I'm going to hold you accountable for how well you train people to do the work. I think there's going to be a lot of pastors saying, well, you know, they didn't do it, so I just did it. I just took care of it all. But that's not what I'm called to do. Biblically, as a pastor, it's my job to train people, to set up people so that you can go out and succeed. I remember in youth ministry, my goal whenever I got to a church as a youth pastor was the very first thing is I wanted to build a leadership team. I wanted to build a team of volunteers that could come alongside. And I lived for the day that when kids ran through the door, they didn't come up to me like, hey, Pastor Tony. They went to a leader because there has been such a relationship built between them. See, any pastor, anybody that's in a leadership position that thinks it's about me, please look at me, please give me the respect, please give me that, is not a biblical leader. I mean, even Jesus himself, the son of God, God in flesh, when he did a miracle, what did he always say? Hey, don't go telling people about this. Just go, go do what the law requires. Go and sin no more and, and live your life for God. Let him get the glory. I, I think one of the worst things is, and, and I hate to say it, I'm taping on recording but the worst thing we did is we started paying pastors because we made it a profession instead of a calling and because we're professionals at that so often we're like okay well then then you you do it but it doesn't work listen i love i love what i do i'm i'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that like and and i love getting paid for what i do it helps <laughs> But if I'm the only one doing it, we are not going to be as impactful as God created us to be. See, it, 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 takes, it takes all of us. And like I said, like that video said, I believe everyone has a purpose. I don't think you just show up to church by accident at some place. I, I think there's a job for you. I think there's something you can do that I can't do or someone else can't do that God has specifically gifted you for. It's, it's my job, and it's my calling to help you find that and then to release you into that, to let you go and grow and, and live in that. But, but you have to find the right person for the job, for the right job, all the time. See, here, here's the problem. So often in church, I, I've been in a lot of places where you're like, hey, can, let me check your pulse. Ooh, 
Your heart's beating. You're breathing. Okay, you are working. <laughs> You're good. You know, for the longest time in our culture, you know, some celebrity would get saved. And a week later, we'd, we'd have them at every conference speaking and doing all kinds of stuff. How can you do that with someone that hasn't been discipled, that hasn't grown? They're not the right person for the right job. And they get in there and they fail. You know, I remember as a kid, you guys, I don't know if this is going to age me. Who remembers Little Richard? Little Richard got saved and immediately got saved. Every like evangelist like, oh, you need to come preach. You need to come preach. You need to come preach and, and do all this. And, and he did it for a while. And for after a while, he figured out, like, I really don't know enough about this. And his life just kind of went. Pfft. See, you, we need to find the right person for the right job. And and that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's what you're supposed to do. And that's why I always challenge you, like, read your Bible, try different things, do different things. But we need to find the right job. And so we see this for the very first time, this choosing of the seven. Look at verse five. You know, the apostle says, all right, go find some men that have good <laughs> reputation. And so in verse five, it says this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I love that they picked these guys. And we're going to learn a lot more about these guys because they did some amazing things. Next week, we're going to talk about Stephen and what it cost him to step up in leadership. But I love that they, they, they chose these seven guys. But they didn't just go around saying, Oh, you look helpful. You look like you're in good. You're in good. They chose people that one had spiritual qualities to match up to their leadership, which basically means their lives matched what they said they were believing in. And, and so often, I think we just try to grab somebody and say, "Hey, let's just put you in here. Good luck and have fun." And everything. Where I think there has to be some kind of spiritual death. Every single one of us has been given some kind of gifts. Some kind of talents. Every single one of us is wired in such a way that we have a passion about something. And again, I believe the best way to live that out is within the church. I think God has placed that in us and he's placed each of us at some place at a specific time. There's no accident that any of you are here this morning. There's no accident that anybody is anywhere this morning because I think God strategically places us because he's like, here's a here's a gap. Here's a hole. And here's someone that I've already wired for that. And it's your job and it's my job to make sure that we're spiritually ready to step into those moves, that place. We live in a culture that is biblically illiterate. All you got to do is turn on like the late show and let them do those surveys. Who is Moses? He's a rapper. Um, <laughs> I mean, people just don't know. And so and so if you want to do something big for God, if you want to be part of something bigger, yourself, you have a you have a part that you need to be doing and make sure that you're ready to step in it. These gentlemen were living the life. They weren't just showing up to church, singing songs and having fun and then going on doing whatever they were. They were living it out day by day. And so so if you're sitting here saying, God, I want you to use me, man, I want to see my purpose and see how impactful I can be for your kingdom and the fruit of that and the glory for you, all that stuff, then be ready to step into it. Have a prayer life. Have a devotional life. 
Show up to church. Volunteer. Do those things. Keep trying to find out, God, what, how have you gifted me? How have you done that? These guys were ready. And I love that the apostles, not only, not only they, when they chose them, the apostles said, okay, here's good seven guys. The apostles stood them up, laid their hands on them, and basically that was saying, we're giving them authority in front of everyone. Anybody ever work for a micromanager? Isn't that fun? Hey, I need you to go do this. And then they're like hovering over you the entire time going, no, 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 push that button. <laughs> like, just let me do my job. I'm giving you full permission that if ever you come up and say, you know, God's just, I feel like God's leading me to do this and stuff, and, and I'm standing over you all the time, for you just to like <coughs> back elbow me and say, back off, pastor. <laughs> I got it. Because I love that they gave them authority and they gave them, they acknowledged them in front of everything. And I, I think we've lost that sense in, in our churches. You know, this is actually the first record of deacons in, in, in the Bible. And by the way, all deacon means is servant. Doesn't mean boss. <laughs> For those of you that have been in that Baptist church. It means servant. And they gave them the right and the ability to go out and do that. See, me as a leader, I have to have the heart and the trust enough to say, go. And if you fail, God's still in control. See, because it's not about me. It's not even about you. It's about God and his kingdom and his glory. And so if, if you have that desire saying, man, I want to do something there for God, are you making yourself ready? Or are you studying and saying, God, because a lot of times God says, I want you to wait. There's things I want to show you. I want to teach you. And when you step in obedience that first time, it's amazing what God opens up for the next time and the next time and the next time. Remember the guys with the talents? You know, one had 10, one had five, one had one. Five and ten, they went and doubled and they invested. They put it out. They took risks. They stepped out. The one hit it. He ended up in prison. God has given us gifts and talents. God has given us abilities. Are you ready to use them? Are, are you ready to step out? Because for the church to grow and to do all that, it's going to take everyone. It, it's the idea that I'm just going to step up to the plate and swing. Worst thing ever when I played baseball and softball was to stand there and get struck out without ever swinging the bat. You know, my, my coach, my people always said, go down swinging. Go down swinging because even if you fail, well, you tried. I think there's too many of us sitting in church today that we're not trying. And we're just standing there and it's just strike one, strike two, strike one. Oh, okay, I'm no good. That's it. And you don't even try. And so I think we are called to step up to the plate and swing. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. There are so many places in the Bible. In Corinthians, it talks about the gifts and different things. And listen, if you're unsure, like, man, I don't know what, how God has gifted me, go on Google and say spiritual gifts test. And there will be about 4,000 of them right there and everything. It, it was funny. It also matters on denomination. I took a class over at Southeastern, which is more of a Pentecostal church and stuff. And I grew up Baptist. And the... And so my was not tongues. <laughs> it was like zero giftings, tongues, and, and this stuff and all these things. They're like, oh, Baptist, huh? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so be aware of what, what, what you're taking. 
and everything, but you can find out. Like, I don't have to print them out. You can just Google it and stuff and find out. But look what, look what Paul says in, in Romans 12, starting at verse um, 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed, distributed a measure of faith to each one. I mean, that, that's the first thing. You want to serve, you want to make an impact. First of all, don't think of yourself more than you actually are. The idea of serving, the idea of giving ourselves and using our talents is not for us, but it is for someone else. Uh, Rick Warren would always say, you know, there's someone that has gifts and talents that are used to bless you. But on the other side, you have gifts and talents that are there so that you can bless someone else. Going on, he says, now, in verse 4, now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy and cheerfulness. All Paul is saying is that you have a job. And you have the gifts and the abilities to do it. Go do it. There, there are some of you out here that have a heart and a capacity to teach. You should be teaching. Even if it's one person. Like, I, I don't have a group of people that mentor somebody. Some of you have the ability to see in, and you have generosity in you. God has made you have a generous spirit. Be generous. Go, go and do it. But the, the idea is that we all have gifts and talents. So now go find your place. Go find the place where you fit and then do it and do it to the very best of your ability. Again, it's not for your glory. It's not for my glory. It's not for Grace Baptist glory. It's for God's glory because God shines the most when we are living in obedience in the way that he has called us. Because you start accomplishing things that there is no way you could do outside of God filling you and empowering you. And there is no better feeling than that. You want to talk about feeling purposeful, feeling meaningful? Do what God wired you to do because no one knows you better. He's the one that wired you. But every one of us has a job. And if you're not sure, then try something. Just just try. I like men. I like hanging out with men. I, I think I can challenge them. And then say, hey, Tony, I want to head up like men's stuff. I want to head up the women's stuff. I think I like kids. They're cute. And you might get back there and hear what I'm hearing. You're like, no, I'm done after a Sunday. <laughs> and that's okay. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said it is better to try and fail than to never try at all. And it's not like God's going to say, oh, well, that's messed up now. Great. You messed that up. He is sovereign. He's in control and everything we do is redeemable. But he's waiting for us to step up to the plate and say, all right, God, I'm going to take a swing and I'm going to swing for the fence. Every time. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day where you're going to make solid contact and you're going to watch it go. 
And you're going to be able to look at God and say, that was you, Lord. That's awesome. Listen, I, I remember being like 12, 13 years old, and the first time I shared the gospel with a friend, we were in science class. They were talking about evolution. Go figure. <laughs> and we're talking about it. And, and he says, I need to know this stuff. And I shared with him, and we prayed together, and he accepted Christ in the back of a classroom in Port Charlotte Junior High School. I've never forgot the feeling when I swung and it went over the fence. You got to step up to the plate. God has gifted us. God has given, given each of us something. In, in fact, that's what First Peter, Peter talks about in First Peter 4.10. He says, based on the gift each one of us has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. You see what he says? Based on the gift each one of us has received. Every one of us, you, you have leadership ability, you have, you have generosity, you have servanthood, you have teaching. I mean, you just list it all off, mercy and stuff. I'm, ask my wife, you know, there are some of you that are Im- amazing at encouraging others. Not me. I'm, I'm just, I'm not, that's not one of my strongest gifts. You know, I'm, I'm the old army sergeant that's like, suck it up. <laughs> Drive on, come on. Stop whining. Man up. I'm your wife. Sorry. (laughs) But you've been given a gift. And when you use it and you say, God, I'm just going to be obedient, whatever it looks like, whether it's in a church of 30 or 3,000, it doesn't matter. God moves and God does something. When we share the load, look at at verse 7 back in Acts 6. These seven men stepped up. They were the right men for the right job. And look what happens in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Even the priest came to know Jesus. You know what you're seeing there? You're seeing multiplication, not addition. So many in our church, so many of our churches, all we're seeing is addition nowadays. That's, that's that 80-20 rule. 80% of work is done by 20% of the people. By the way, in this church, you know, that's like five of us. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's got to be going on. There's a lot of things that need to be happening. And, and nothing, like I said, nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. It all works. Like, I tell you, this morning, I was stressed because I came out. It's like, Bob's gone. We have to put all the chairs out. We have to do all this stuff. I forgot how much of a blessing it was to walk in here in the morning and say, hey, this is done. You know, I love that the ladies are like more and more stuff. There's ministry happening and there's things happening to the ladies because it's growing. They're taking ownership. I want to see the same thing in men's. Our, our youth, we're, we're trying to rebuild our youth and say, let's get together. Our young adults, I don't even show up on Monday nights anymore. They just meet and they're growing and and they're doing that stuff. I, I love that stuff because people are stepping in and they're sharing the load. And when we do that, we multiply our impact, not just add to our impact. And can I tell you, this community needs us to multiply our impact, needs every church to multiply its impact and not just add because there's so much hurt and hopelessness out there. I believe with all my heart that it is possible 
And it is mandate that every person in four corners gets a chance to hear the gospel and make up their own mind. If that's me going door to door, handing out a video or doing something, it is going to take forever. But what happens if 30 people are doing that? What happens if we start saying, man, I want to mentor somebody and disciple somebody. But as you're discipling them, you're training them to disciple someone else. And when you're done, you go find someone else and they go find someone else. You're talking about multiplication. I think that's the strategy God gave us. They were all together with purpose and with direction saying this is for God's glory and God's kingdom. We're going to move this way. And God started multiplying the impact. That's what happens when we're all in it together. That's what happens when we share the load. God moved because his people are being obedient. Listen, if you don't think that you have something you can do, then you need to rip out Ephesians 2.10 from your Bible because it's a promise from God. Because He says, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them. I love that. The, the Greek there is we are his poema, his poem, his masterpiece that God has made us, created us, put us together. And he already has something planned for you and me to do. And if you're still breathing, you still got something to do. If you're not sure and you're like, well, I'm just I'm kind of new to this faith thing. I'm just growing in faith. He still has something to do. It doesn't matter that we all are his creation created in Christ Jesus. And there is something for us to do that God has already prepared. And if God has prepared it for us, he's figured out how to finish it and how for it to be successful and fruitful for his kingdom. It's not on you. All we have to do is be obedient. All we have to do is step out and say, yes, I'll do it. Whatever it is. I'll do it. And when we do that, 30 becomes 60, which becomes 120, which becomes 240, which becomes more and more. Not that I'm, listen, God wants to make us a mega church. Fine. Uh, whatever God wants, that's what I want. My heart is that, like, hey, we get at like 150 we get over 150, then we need to send like 50 people to go plant another church <laughs> so that we can multiply this and multiply this and multiply this. You and I only get one life. Why not live it in purpose? I love it. Henry Drummond, the great preacher, and I'm going to close with this. He says, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Let me read that to you one more time. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. We all have seasons. I don't know how long your season's going to be here. I don't know how long my season's going to be here, but we have seasons that God gives us. Let's do something now while we can. Until God moves us on to the next thing.
Let's be in it together and continue the never-ending story that started with Jesus and has continued through us today. What's your job? He's got one for you. Let's pray.